Master Tavern Keepers, History of the Old World. And so, onto the flight of Dungle Hill, as described in the poem, The Quaker's Folly. Now, tis worth stressing again that it was apparently written by the squire of the knight errant John Quickshire, Sandra Pangle, and that does mean the account is a little biased, especially one bit in particular, but uh, that doesn't mean it's, uh, it isn't a useful lens through which to look at the events of the day. Ah, well, if there's one thing I've learnt in all my years of hearing stories, it's this. All retellings are but a single facet of a tale, and, more often than not, each tells us more about the teller than the tale itself. We are all unreliable narrators in front of the stage of our lives. <laughs> to be true, my dear friend. Anyhow, let's just get back to our own unreliable narrator, Sandra Pangle, and her poem. It begins with... Arker's Oracles, Dwarf Miners. With the Orc, with Goblin, and with the old giant Grimmock. McCracker had taken Dungle Hill, every barrel lock and stock. Apart from the silver mine of the dwarves, at the prospector, Arker's Oracle who may trap down there to save his orcs from a bloody, vengeful neckle. A year they'd spent in the mine, each day hungry, wet and blind. Each one bore an angry heart, and each one bore a bitter mind. The dwarfs had watched their treasure chests, dragged away by the greedy greenskins, and were eager to gift their trusty pickaxes some fresh red blood-stained death rings. The day before they clashed, a message reached the mine. Friends end your fast, for on the morrow comes the awaited time. The knights of Harkness and Donald Bane are near, sharpen your blades, and fan the flames of your hate, and prepare to see MacRicker paid. And so Zargul's miners grinned at the prospect of ending many orc lives, and loosened up the boards that had kept them there inside. No more living on Nort better than bug, worm, and rat, that very leanest of deep, damp diets that left each one without fat. The sun rose the next morn to the sound of many marching feet. First Donalbane from the west with the McCooligans and whiskey. Second from the south came Harkness, led by fair quick sure and dart. And at last it was the anointed time for the bloodletting to start. But, gentlemen, let us just take a breather before we go any further. I just want to add a few, uh, few more details to what uh, Pangle wrote in her poem. Ah, please. Anything that expands our understanding is always appreciated. Excellent. Well, first of all, just so it's clear, the forces of both the Alliance and those of MacRecker were far larger 
than, uh, say, those of the Maltman of Loch Lorm or the two clans at Windward. So, hopefully, Heinrich, this fight will be more to your liking. Oh, yeah, but uh, what kind of numbers are we really talking about, Zor? Ach, well, most of the McCooligans had survived the raid on the distillery and numbered just sire of uh, around 30. In addition to their uh, Laird Docco, as well as uh, Prince Donalbane and Murgrave the Wizard. The whole force had been moving quite slowly since leaving the Lorne Valley, as they'd uh, brought along the dray, carrying all the whiskey, and uh, with it being such a, a rickety thing, pulled by a pair of horses who were uh, rather on the old side, let's say. Well, it, it couldn't move any faster than a, a leisurely walking pace. But it wasn't far from Loch Lorne to Dongle, not when compared to the distance to uh, Harkness at least. Now, uh, the, uh, the Knights of Harkness had actually travelled rather quickly north along the road linking their home to Dungle Hill, so both end up arriving at the same time. But the force brought by the Earl was no large contingent of warriors. In fact, they only numbered ten, and one of these was the Earl. Uh, you know, a dart on a horseback. The other knights were on foot, but uh, it's worth saying that what they lacked for in quantity, they made up for in uh, quality. Now, in addition to the forces of Donalbane and the McCooligans and the Knights of Harkness, was the uh, the knight errant John Crickshire and his squire Sandra Pangwell. They acted as a go-between between these uh, two groups. Both of these had initially travelled to secure the aid of Harkness on horseback, although uh, Pangwell had lost hers on the journey to Harkness after the two Battle of Beasts out of uh, Fagmar Forest. Anyhow, there's one more group we must not forget about, and that's the miners. They now numbered only ten, for only the strongest had survived their year-long entrapment in the mine. This did include their leader, though, the powerful dwarf prospector, Arkazargal. He was stubborn, even for a dwarf, a race renowned for stubbornness. But uh, without his Gromrel's strong will, the miners would never have held out so long. He was also noteworthy for the weapon that he bore. He wielded a magical warhammer known as Grung Grung which means a hammer of the mines in Kazalid, I believe. Miners tend to use pickaxes rather than hammers, as you'd imagine, but uh, it had been his father's weapon, and he refused to give it up and use anything else. Anyhow, let's get ourselves back to the poem. MacGregor was in the inn when the sentry's cries rang out. And orc and goblin and giant stopped and looked all about. They poured out of the village, blades ready and arrows knocked. And Markle Grimac hefted up his club, legs unsteady, head half cocked. But as MacGregor's minions made ready to make bloody war, Arkers Argyll and his miners smashed open the locked mine door. And as three his foes came down upon that lieutenant of Macdeath, but no one of them would be the one to bring about his final Ah, excuse me, Master Alchemist, please wait a moment. MacRecca survived this uh, battle, then? Why, why did the poet give away the ending so early on in the poem? I don't understand. Look, but she, she didn't, she didn't. Just hold on to your horses there. Listen, and you'll find out what really happened. Anyhow, as you've, uh, as you've stopped me here, I may as well use this opportunity to talk about the, uh, the disposition of MacRecca and his forces. You know... Where they were in the uh, in old uh, the old Dunnall village itself, 
and then we'll get into the fight proper. Now, of the greenskins that he'd initially brought with him, only around uh, 40 of the orcs still lived, and perhaps 15 or so of the, uh, of the goblin archers. Ten orcs guarded the mine entrance where the dwarves were. Then there was another two that were uh, located in toll booths on the two roads into the village. The other orcs were divided between the two sod houses in the village proper, which had been used as barracks, and also the inn. Uh, these orcs were guarding McCrecker himself. The goblins were all holed up at the uh, the windmill, guarding the three stolen treasure chests belonging to the dwarves, as was the uh, the drunken giant Markle Grimmock, who was repairing one of the sails at the time that the uh, the alliance arrived. Now, there is one more person of interest I simply must mention, and that's McCrecker's valet, the halfling Rabies. He accompanied McCrecker everywhere he went, and he hated every moment of it having spent his entire adult life effectively as the personal slave of his cruel master. He had become the property of McCrecker after the death of his entire family as a result of one of McCrecker's spells going awry. It was Raby's dearest wish to see his master dead, and preferably by his own hands. Just, uh, just uh, keep your man here in mind, eh? Anyhow, back to the poem. "'Twas the blades of Harkness that first shed enemy blood, "'storming the lone orc hidden within a box of wood. "'The sneaky orc had shot off a bolt from his crude crossbow, "'only to miss and then encircled was butchered by blow after blow. "'John Quickshire, too, drew his sword, eager for blood to spill, "'and spied Markle Grimmock standing by the old wind mill. "'The giant lumbered forwards towards the charging knight, "'whilst the goblins around his ankles sent arrows off into flight. But each rain of shots merely pattered harmlessly off Quickshire's heavy plate, each irritating knock and snap adding fuel unto his head. He raised his shield as he charged, but kept his lance aimed low, and sent old Grimmock crashing over, crushing the goblins below. Then the remaining greenskins scampered and swarmed all over Quickshire, dragging him from his hork, daggers flashing in the furore. But then came Dart, his flaming blade, scarring away their foes, carving and quarterizing the goblins, screams soothing their death throes. The goblins ran to the nearby orcs and drew arrows from their quivers. But with the charging feet of squire and knight, the greenskins began to wither, and our noble blades cut fast and true, spilling blood upon the ground. And Dart and Quickshire turned to face Grimmock, but nowhere could he be found. What? So the great giant, Markle Grimmock, simply turned and fled. There was no duel between he, the Earl of Harkness, and Quickshire, liking the play. Och, now, if you recall, I did mention that uh, Pangle's poem was a little biased. She was Quickshire's squire, after all. Well, this is the part. According to other eyewitnesses, there was indeed a duel between the two knights and the giant. But uh, it was not one that Dart and Quickshire wanted to become uh, widely known. What happened was this, apparently. After the goblins had been scattered, Dart, Quickshire and Grimmock faced off against each other. <laughs> Time to bonk your heads. Not while I have strength in my arms. And I 
alive. Fire in my blade. And with that, the two knights charged the giant from opposite directions. Grimmock swung his great club wildly at Quickshire, missed, and instead struck the flaming blade of Dart, knocking it out of his hands and plunging it into the side of the nearby windmill. Meanwhile, Quickshire weaved past the flailing limbs of the drunken giant and plunged his sword deep into Grimmock's leg. (laughs) And with a flick of his wrist, Markle swatted the offending knight away before pulling out the sword and throwing it into some long grass nearby. But at this very moment, with Dart trying to prise his blade out of the burning windmill and the bruised quickshire poking around in the weeds looking for his own weapon, Pangle came to their aid. She held up a bottle of whiskey, allowing it to catch in the sunlight and wink at the giant. And at his exclamation, she turned tail and ran, with the inebriated footsteps of Grimmock following close behind, although not close enough to catch her. Anyhow, that was the end of the old uh, giant's participation in the battle. Different from the poem, as you can see. And different from the play. Well, I don't suppose we can expect too much truth from works of entertainment. Oh, well, I don't know about that. I think the role of uh, your historical dramas is to uh, is to teach us the truth about our own world and ourselves, rather than to chronicle every nail and floorboard that existed in the world that was. They teach truth. It's just not the one that you're expecting. Anyhow, let's get ourselves uh, back to the poem. From the west came the drunken McCooligans and a sober Donald Bain, rowdy and loud as a foolskin and as rough as a lion's mane. They charged headlong towards the ford across the river Roche, and their fierce battle cries rang through the valley as they waded in and crossed. The orcs in the village were already moving upon the knights of Harkness when they heard the battle rattles of the clansmen and were forced to turn and redress. But these were then joined by the calls of the dwarves from down in the mine, eager to kill each and every orc that their sharp pickaxes could find. Ian MacGregor spun about his enemies to the north, south and west, and began to call forth his dark magic to bring death to the Knights of Harkness, when from on the hill came a ball of fire from the hands of the magician Murgray, and caught MacGregor unawares, engulfing him in a fiery display. Burnt MacGregor conjured up a wind and cast it at Murgray. The wizard of Dunker was blown off the hill, tumbled down, unmoving lay. But MacGregor himself was badly cindered, his skin red raw and cracked. And this was the moment that Rabies went to draw his dagger and to act. As dwarf cut open orc and MacCooligan ripped them in twain, and knights plunged their swords into greenskin, delighting in the howls of their pain. Rabies advanced on his master, teeth clenched and lips back curled, and slipped his dagger in deep and ended MacGregor's world. 
And yet the battle continued until the sun grew low. Men dwarf and orc and goblin lay dead by mortal blow. But at sunset it was Zargul, Harkness and Donald Bane who were one step closer to ending hateful Macdeath's short reign. Hard push to 